This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Bum bum. Patink. <laughs> Patinka Patu. It's uh, Patinka Patu. It's the afternoon here on 3RRR FM. Welcome to one and all. How's your Sunday going? My name's Cam Smith. I'm here at a microphone. It's on. The red light's going. That means we are successful in doing that. And one of the ones who's facilitated such beautiful electrons to flow is Matt Stedman. Oh, God. Can't really claim that. I've just pressed a few buttons. The gatekeeper of the electrons. Okay. We're going all right so far. Let's see if I can't cock it up before the hour's out. How are you, Cameron Smith? You're looking well. I mean, yeah, we've only got a pre-recorded interview in two parts. I mean, (laughs) but we have redundancy. (laughs) We have key drive, we have hard yeah. drives, we've got, yeah. You have, you made multiple backups because this interview is with, um, I'm not going to use the word important, with a, a prominent Melbourne chef. Uh, Australia's prominent chef. Yes, we're talking, of course, of... Ben Shuri. Mm. Uh, number 22. Oh, on the sample list, if you, if you believe such things. Oh, there you go. But, but, uh, but valid. Yes, in his own very thing. Much so. Forget about these yardsticks that are arbitrarily given by soft drink makers in yes. uh, international climbs. No, yes. let's just talk about the man. So the rest of the course rocks. is Attica there in Ripon Lee. I've been, like, yes. I've eaten there. I think I've eaten there twice. Been lucky enough to get in. I've eaten there twice. Yes, two very very lucky times to do that. Uh, yes, we have a pretty good chat with Ben. Yes. Um, who is, has got to be said, is a great supporter of the R's. That is true. Lucky listener will be dining with the Breakfasters. Oh, has that happened yet? It's a double prize. Not yeah. only do you get to hang out with the Breakfasters, you get to hang out at arguably Australia's best restaurant. Some say. Some say. <laughs> Don't tell me down that road. So, yeah, look, that's, um, that's coming up. And, yes. um, we are very, very much, uh, looking forward to that. And, uh, we have Mira Harrell, who mm. is in the green room waiting yes. to come in. And, uh, there's something interesting is going to be happening at the Fitzroy Town Hall on the 19th of November. Mm. Uh, Grow Symposium. Think TED Talk for, uh, for the hospitality Ooh. industry. Mm. Um, hospitality industry needs, uh, you know, a, a bit of love, a, a bit of coalescing, and a, and a bit of thinking, and a bit of and a bit of forward thinking. And this year's theme is community. Yes. And uh, Mira is going to be telling us a little bit about, uh, well, what's going to be good about that, and mm-hmm. uh, why if you are a hospitality person, or if you are not that maybe you might want to come along to that happening again, as I say, on the 19th of November, which is scarily close. I was just writing the date down. It's, it's almost November already. I say this every year, but where has the year gone? Uh, where has the year gone? Where has it gone? <laughs> It'll be Christmas before you know it. Yes, yes, Matt. It, uh, it is happening. It's the sound of Matt getting old. You are. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe you said that. You never used to say that in the old days. Back when I was... They go, wow, I'm going to go on summer holidays. They're going to go forever. <laughs> Didn't you? Yeah. 12.05, mm. time's ticking and we've got to get a move on here because there's a lot to get through. Yes. Uh, one thing I will do, um, just to let you know, because it's just this strange thing that I do with a food show, mm. is I bring up Catholic saints. Um, I don't know. I've just been doing it for years. We give big ups to the Feast of Simon the Apostle. Yes. Patron of couriers, sawmen, and tanners. Not couriers, but couriers. Couriers, yeah. Something to do with curry combs and brushing yeah. horses. Although couriers probably deserve their own patron saint now, don't they? Why not? Yeah. Why not? The patron saint of Star Trek. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's better than sort of, you know, nailing that St. Christopher thing to your arm. Um, so, yes, uh, do that. And also, I had an interesting food uh, quote uh, from mm. an interesting American. Yes. Dead. Yes. So, what <laughs> did you Johnny Von Goes there. <laughs> dead. What He's interesting dead. when he was alive, though. Ah, oh, was he? Probably ever? less interesting now. Uh, Benjamin Franklin died a long time ago, no, 1790, he's... but um, hey, we look back fondly on mm. your life there, buddy. Uh, and he said, Fools make feasts. I'll start that again. Mm. Fools make feasts. And wise men eat them. Woo. <laughs> six here on 3 Triple RFM. Um, as we go from sort of uh, sublime and ridiculous in the same sentence, mm. a little bit of sadness mm. um, crossed my Instagram feed 
listen to me. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing because I'm just sort of new at this sort of yeah. thing. And You're doing look. very well. Jeez, that, Thank sounds, you. that sounds very patronising. <laughs> Not as patronising as when you said, welcome to 2004, Cam. That's true. As you patted me on yeah. the back. Uh, but yeah, Cam Smith, eat it. Cam Smith, eat it if you want to check it on out. On Instagram, but, yes. On Instagram. Mm. Um, Matty Wilkinson uh, posted a very, very sad image. If you don't know Matt Wilkinson, he is the guy that uh, for years and years fed a lot of people mm. uh, just down the road here in Nicholson Street at Pope Joan. Mm-hmm. And it has been swallowed up. It's being raised. It's been raised. Yes. It's a thing. But there was, yeah, just this shot of... Um, it's not like the last stand of Pope Joan and there's a bit of the facade sticking up out of the ground and someone wrote, God, it's almost like, do you want, should we put like the white sheet around it before we... Put the wrecking ball through it. Well, almost, yeah, yeah hit it with a shotgun. It was sort of more of like the horse racing analogy. Mm. You know, when a horse falls mm-hmm. and they put the screen the up. dreaded screen, They yes. put the screen. Yeah, um, yeah um, rest in peace, Pope Joan. Yes, uh, and I guess it, what it does, it did for me anyway, is like, what's going to replace it? Mm. Um, an apartment building of dubious um, uh, aesthetic. One of many. Com- no, nothing for the community, really. Mm. Where are we going? Where are we going, man? <laughs> anyway, um, enough of that. Um, 12.08. Have you eaten anything interesting this oh, week? Look, We're going to bung me. Thank you for the bung me. Yeah, I, I may have um, grabbed some snacks on the way in this morning. You did, and yes. it was brilliant. Yes. Uh, what a great breakfast yes. uh, bung me is. And it's also second Vietnamese breakfast in a row. I, I, I waxed yeah. lyrical last week about it. Uh, and and also a restrained use of chili because we didn't want to blow our heads. <laughs> well, off. they always ask you at the end, "You want chili?" And it's like, "Well, just just a just a little bit, just a little bit, you're just not, a little bit." So you're not like one of these, "Hey, double chili for me, mate." No, 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 not your not your ghost sauce. My, my password is napalm. <laughs> it is. I'm getting the wind up. It's twelve oh eight here on three triple RFM. We will be talking to uh, Ben Shuri. Yes, uh, extended, extensive interview. Uh, but we are very much looking forward to talking to Miira Harrell, who will be coming up very shortly on 3 Triple R. Oh, that was sizzling. I like that. Yes. Nice work, Tim. Uh, 12.10 here on 3 Triple RFM as we welcome to the microphones Miira Harrell. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. Good you, afternoon. How are you? I'm very, very well. You've done all your shopping. Most of it, yes. Most of it. This morning. So you're going home, cooking up a big feast? Yeah, getting ready for the week. It's it's nice when you bring all these things together and it makes something beautiful. And it seems that might be what is happening down at the Fitzroy Town Hall, happening on the 19th of November. Absolutely. Grow Assembly. Grow Assembly. And um, is this, how many years is it? Is it... This is our third Melbourne three, event. Yes, I was sorry. holding up three fingers, but I wasn't. I was, <laughs> I was about ninety percent sure. Yeah, third event in Melbourne. We did yes. have our first uh, Grow Assembly Sydney this year, earlier in May. Yes, um, and we also started doing little focused events, uh, which we call the spotlight events. Spotlight, I like um, that. Hey, I like that. And the first one was uh, this time last year, which yeah. was on specialty coffee. The, uh, the genesis. What was the genesis of this uh, this symposium? Oh, I love that word, symposium. Oh, uh, genesis. Yeah. Um, How did it all start? Tell me, <laughs> all what, was, started what was the inspiration? Four friends working in... Late at night, drinking tequila after work. Uh, beer, probably, okay, yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, working in high-end restaurants in, in, in Melbourne. You mentioned Ben Cherry mm. earlier before... Three of us have worked with Ben Cherry at Attica. Yeah. Um, so Banjo, Harris Blaine, Michael Basquetta, and Vicky Symington, two front of house, one chef, and myself at the time uh, working at the Lake House in Dalesford. Um, you living down there? Feeling we did live down there, oh, yes, wow. for 15 months. You were working with the wolf mother. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. It was very cold. We had to come back to the city. I had to come back. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you were sitting around. Sitting around feeling we need to promote education. We are looking for good people to join our teams. We're struggling to find them. Mm. We've been surrounded with fantastic events such as uh, MAD uh, Symposium, going to TED Talks, uh, speaking at the Welcome Conference in, in New York, and we felt Melbourne needs 
um, an event that will gather people around hospitality um, in one room and for the first time not to have it just chef or food focus but like chef there was one that was sort of valid i thought earlier on with mm. melbourne food and wine festival the chef jam mm. which was great it was sort of like a, a foodie ted talk Absolutely. but it was pretty cheap but you what did you want to do you wanted more we wanted more we wanted obviously three of us are a front of house and and not just a chef driven um team yeah come on but also we felt that there needs to be more diversity and the diversity needs to inspire a broader crowd um, mm. within the hospitality professional community. Yes. Um, and we, we wanted to make sure that more topics and elements are, are up there. So forgive me if I'm wrong, if I'm paraphrasing, the, the idea is that people that are working within this industry should be more than just wage slaves to feed people but they should be able to develop their their minds as well as their bodies and their understanding of what is either being cooked in the kitchen or what is being taken out of the kitchen to a diner absolutely i mean hospitality is not just food and wine it's Mm. a holistic thing yeah it's 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 a way of living and it's a noble thing to do because it is about providing food and sucker and entertainment it's a lot different from just selling say someone insurance or something like that it's, it has this a nobility about it memorable experiences emotional moments that will last forever mm-hmm. um special connections yes that's how myself and my partner met mm. yeah. um and we've got a beautiful son now yes. and it's it's more it's more than than just food it's yeah it it's almost i can't describe it in words it's 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 a feeling that would last forever when, we you, wanna, when we have a great experience and, and i guess maybe what we want to do is to have um at, at its very very best we want to have renaissance people mm. working in the kitchens not just a one dimensional so this is about broadening out broadening out the, uh, the development of, of the people within. Now, tell us with the, what's happening on the 19th of November. How is that going to happen? What, well, are, what can we expect? You will listen to nine talks mm-hmm. by nine very diverse speakers, men and women. Yes. Um, we've got uh, an international speaker. Um, her name is Maria Cannabal coming. She's big. She is big. How she's big got is she? Her own, why is she so big? She's got her own um, national, uh, international event uh, called the Power Bearer Forum. She's a world-known writer, food journalist, yeah. author, um, and she is uh, a huge activist in the in the food Female. What was her name spectrum. again? Just in case people wanted to Google Maria Cannabal. Maria Cannabal. Yes, right. Uh, one of the world's of diverse voters as well, and and just an, a, an extremely interesting person. Um, What's she going to be talking about? Well, um, obviously, power reform will be a main thing uh, in her talk, uh, le- it's all leading about that community, isn't it? leading yeah. that community of women in gastronomy yes. um, around the world, and how. We should elevate women in 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 food and wine industry, but not necessarily on their own path. Yes. So not necessarily having the um, best female chef award because no. that's not it's more the than aim. That. It's, it's more, than more than that. Who else are you going on? Uh, Banjo's we, there. Banjo. Your, your, your compatriot. Banjo, for those that don't know, is uh, the sommelier par excellence and probably was. Uh, uh, well, I first became aware of him because of Attica and mm-hmm. uh, the great mm-hmm. things that he was pouring and understood and was able to elucidate about. <laughs> well, he's now at home putting the baby to sleep, but he's gonna hey, he's gonna be sleep there uh, with us, one of the founders on stage, introducing all the speakers. Mm. Um, but we will have Luke Burgess, mm-hmm. um, who a lot of people know from the. Good old garagist in, yeah. in, in Hobart. These days, Luke just started his new adventure called the Rocky Top Farm yeah. um, in Tasmania, a, a little or not little dream that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will also have uh, a very important topic that we're going to talk about, which is mental health. Yes. Um, Mal Myers, who is the founder of um, Food for Thought, 
Yes. Um, dinners who is an extremely talented chef, but yeah. also working for a great cause. Gotcha. Look, it's, um, it is all going to be happening at uh, the Fitzroy Town Hall. Uh, will there be food? Will there be people who get some, will they get a, some tucker in as well? Absolutely. Of course you will. We're <laughs> hospitality people, for God's sake. We need to feed the, feed the tummy as well. Yeah. Um, if you book in early, it's $95 uh, for those that get in early. For those that want to book, uh, well, a little bit later, leave it to the last moment. Don't do that. $115. You can do the Googs. Google, what do you suggest? Grow Assembly. Yeah, Fitzroy Town Hall. It's all there. Um, I wish you all the very, very best for it, and I think it, it's great what you are doing, and it's about broadening out the intellectual ideas, the emotional ideals, the community ideals of this great group of people who do good stuff. Yeah? Absolutely. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you very much for coming on. Say good day to Banjo. Matt, we need to move on, don't we? We'll have some responsive announcements and then we'll be back after this. After this. After this. You know, something crazy and wonderful happened to me on Tuesday and the fact that uh, uh, I went down to Glen Ira Road mm-hmm. in Ripon Lee, mm-hmm. uh, went out the back and where I saw some bins of wine bottles. and <laughs> They're not just more normal wine bottles, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I turned a few of them over and went, wow, that looks good. I wish I could try that. <laughs> but I was allowed in. I got brought in through the door and I brought through this labyrinthine type of kitchen. It's an extraordinary space. Mm. Um, I went by a machine that is there to to keep abalone alive and ready for for the plucking of things. I saw someone going through um, all these pearls of finger limes and there's busyness and happening. And then I saw the great man himself, Ben Shuri. Mm. And uh, Ben said g'day because I've met him a couple of times before. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, um, come on up. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll take you into, uh, I'll take you into the, my, my special little office. And I went, wow, really? Okay. And we went up some stairs and we went past all these awards. He keeps all the awards that he has just on the stairs. As you as you come up, and then I went past the staff room, which has uh, a pinball machine, which I thought was kind of cool. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's that's kind of cool. And then we went into the inner sanctum mm-hmm. that Ben Shuri has, a place where he just needs to when he just needs to get away. And this room is fairly small. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dominated by a green granite Featherston table. And Featherston chairs. Featherston, of course, is a very famous um, uh, Australian designer from the 1960s. Anyway, mm. there's just – it's very laid back and there was this Hans Wegner daybed and, uh, and a 1963 Weltron record player which has his thrash <laughs> stuff on the top of it. Anyway, we're in this really, really great spot and um, I hit the play button and I said, wow, <laughs> this is a really cool area. And he said – yeah, it's just it's just a nice place to be. It's kind of an escape in the afternoon. You know, we have 40 staff here and I'm hands-on, still very much hands-on with this business and but sometimes, you know, it, it you just got to get away. It's a little much. <laughs> so, you know, there are some things that I need to concentrate on by myself. So I come up here, I can lock the door. I can do the the emails, I can do the business things I need to do. I can do I can work on the creative ideas. I can listen to music. I can exhale a little bit for an hour each day. And then um, at 6 o'clock, if we have friends or family um, coming in, we can bring them up here for a drink beforehand. We don't have a bar at Attica. So. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm very honoured to be in this room because it's, uh, it's certainly it's clean, it's elegant, and um, it's full of these amazing design icons. And uh, But the main thing is that I've got you here and... I guess one of the first things I need to do is to say, hey, thanks very, very much for your generosity in Radiothon and uh, the Breakfasters Prize. That's about to take place, and a, and a lucky listener is going to experience the the joys of the of the experience at Attica. So thank you very, very much for that. That's an absolute pleasure. I mean, it felt so good to support Triple R. Um, it's a cultural icon, really, and so important and. You know, sometimes I think we think that these, you know, these, these icons of culture in our community will always be there, but they, but they're not going to be unless they're supported um, and engaged with everyone in the community, and that just feels like it was our responsibility. Plus, we're on the same 
live on lots of issues and thoughts and ideas, and I love music as well, um, and I love the independence of the radio station. It's uh, cultivation, because you need to cultivate these things, don't we? Yeah, we do. You know, it's something that we can't take for granted. I think it, it needs to be nurtured. It does, and cherished and, and appreciated, and, right. uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, and... If you don't, you know, show some kind of appreciation for culture, um, well, you know, you're only living half a life. How long has Attica been going for now? Uh, I think this is the, this is my 14th year, I think, believe it or not, which is just crazy. I turned 41 this year. So that's, yeah, that's about right, about 14 years. Uh, that's since I've been running it. It was going for about a year and a half before me. Um, and I've owned it outright, um, well, you know, three and a half years, I suppose. Um, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah no, that's a high career highlight. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it feels like when you say it, when you say 14 years, it feels like such a long time. Um, but when you've lived it, it feels like a couple of years. You know, it's pretty insane. And it's so different as well. It changes all the time. Um, it's never sort of static. It's never still you know it's always moving and i think that's why you found me probably slightly stressed this morning when you arrived was because um you know yesterday there was uh there was a door maker here there was a vinyl layer there was a painter there was an electrician and you know i'm managing these great people to do the maintenance work for the restaurant and for do improvements and that's just we're always in flux kind of here you know we're always um trying to change and evolve you know, it's amazing what you can do in a small business if you're really focused on those things. Well, it's keeping all the balls in the air. Like what someone says, it's like having open-heart surgery while you're trying to run a marathon. Yeah, yeah, and just inv- continually, continuously investing in kind of staff and infrastructure is kind of the key. You know, like if you, you know, firstly, if you don't have the greatest staff, then you can't do anything, but it also if you don't give them the tools um, and the, you know, working conditions to be able to properly do their job, then... It's just very hard, and we probably had, oh, look, a solid 10 years of not having the right tools. Um, And even now, you know, there's many things that we need to improve on. You know, the main kitchen renovation will be something that we need to address in the future, a huge job, very, very expensive, and uh, sort of reconfiguration of the whole workspace. That kitchen's 15 years old now, and it really was never a professional kitchen in the first place. It always amazed me the things that you were producing out of that space. Well, how would you describe that space? Uh, you'd, challenging? You'd, you'd, challenging. Yeah. You'd, you'd, dis, you'd describe that space as a collection of mismatched pieces of equipment and benches, mostly secondhand, mm. some very old refrigeration, all uh, impeccably maintained, but all yeah, just a rogue collection of things um, pushed into a room that was never designed as a kitchen. In fact, it was the bank manager's living quarters. Um, so, you know, I really want to address that. But in old buildings like this, addressing, you know, major infrastructure like a kitchen and drainage and extraction is just such a huge task and so costly. And for a business which only operates on five dinners and a week and has, you know, only cooking for about 62 people on average on those Mm -hmm. dinners and has 40 employees... You know, to close, to renovate like that. Firstly, to find the capital to do that is difficult. But secondly, to actually to cover the costs of everybody while you while you're renovating is is a very big task. So, yeah, mm. and I don't own the building, so we'll you know <laughs> we'll we'll see how we go with that one. It's always like kind of the dreams to renovate that that kitchen. We'll probably do the bathrooms at the same time. It'd probably be one big job. But it's coming up, and it's, it's within the next couple of years and next year or two years, so, yeah. Here's an obvious, super obvious question, but I'm sure people would love to have it asked, is that 14 years, and how has your approach to food or your appreciation of ingredients, technique, changed? I mean, I you know, I guess in 14 years, you know, I've gone from feeling like um, an outsider, like a migrant, I am a migrant, um, to feeling like I'm, you know, like an, a fully engaged part of the community. And I've done that by learning about our country and learning about our people, all of them. And that's given me a sort of sense of fulfilment in my work because it's really important to to understand, you know, what happened here historically, you know, beginning with our First Nations people, first and foremost and most importantly, 
that's by far the oldest culture by any any stretch of the imagination. And then uh, the waves of migrant immigration that happened here and the different influences that we took on as a country. So, you know, that's been probably the focus of my work for, uh, you know, eight or nine years now. Uh, slowly it was, became a sort of snowball to the point where every day we need to learn something about our country. I don't feel like the cuisine could move forward and become recognised as being Australian until that started to happen. Before that it was sort of a you know, juxtaposition of you know, New Zealand culture and those ideas and then slowly it moved into an Australian focus. That's just a process that just had to take time because... Um, I wasn't prepared ever to just uh, just to sort of say, hey, right now we're doing Australian cooking. These are all these indigenous ingredients. Here's this culture. Here's this migrant culture. Here's all these ideas. I wasn't prepared to just do that because I didn't really have the full uh, understanding. I still don't. You know, it's such a a big topic and such a big conversation. But I so I just went slowly and gently. And now I feel a lot more confident and and referencing Australia and all of the different ways but to reference something especially a culture that's not your own mm. um for me i need to have a fairly deep understanding and a connection to it otherwise i don't feel comfortable referencing it you know whether it was the cuisine of thailand or whether it was something i learned about the Bunurong people of the kulin nation in this area i don't feel confident or comfortable referencing those things unless I have a deeper understanding of what it meant to those people and I'm able to articulate that and not pass it off as something that's mine so that that takes a long time I mean so you know it, it has changed a lot my, my my I've probably become a lot more direct as well in cooking and as a person I just feel like my my time is so limited on you know all the fronts I you know I could always, you know, use more time on everything. So therefore, I try to sort of focus my time on certain things and not waste it. Even now in development, I'm much more precise with experimentation. Um, we have, you know, the way that we develop has changed, particularly this year with a group of people rather than just me, myself and an assistant. It's a, it's a creative group now, and it's, it is a lot more refined in the way that you do that now, yeah? Yeah, it is, and it's shared responsibility. So uh, research so is shared. Absolutely. There's yes. a group of eight to nine men and women here who are the most senior cooks at the restaurant, and they make up the development team, and they all have responsibilities. We meet twice a week. We're going to meet, meet after we've finished this interview, and we'll discuss um, in that meeting... It's broken down into parts. So, what needs to change on the menu? You know, what are we sick of? What is what has uh, been on the menu too long? And what seasonal changes need to be made? Um, and then another part will be uh, dishes that we're working on that are maybe almost ready. Then components of dishes that we're working on, which is separate to an actual dish. It could be, you know, a paste. A, it could be a ferment. It could be a sauce. It could be a, a, a way of cooking protein or a vegetable. Yes. Um, and then just a list of ingredients that we're not using that we need to consider. Um, and then notes about what happened last week, what did we try, what went wrong, what didn't work, what's not good, what has potential. Um, so that happens on Tuesday with this with these eight people. And then between, after that meeting, the jobs are separated and delegated. And then we all go and weigh and work on those things sort of independently bringing each other into it during the week those people will bring those results to myself and matt our head chef and we'll we'll look at them and point them in the right direction with the progress or no it's not going right and you just start again try it like this or there's just no merit in that and then friday we meet again we discuss hey what happened what was good did you think of anything new did you discover anything along the way we update the sheet and so we're just rolling week to week like that just a faster process, a much faster process, and it's more inclusive. And I'll have final say on everything as usual. That's just how it has to be because you know it's my vision um, for cooking and food. And it's not me being tyrannical. It's well, just just the end of the day. This is my baby. <laughs> That's right. This Hello. is my restaurant. Um, they all have ownership in it um, mm. as well. But just because you have an idea, one doesn't mean it's a good idea, mm. and two doesn't mean that it could be something that we could do here because this is quite a um a tight little sphere of things that you can do you know um, in a way uh, yeah i'm quite particular about what we might be referencing 
how it might taste, how it, not so much how it looks. I don't really care or care about that later once we've sorted out flavour. Yeah, so that's kind of how we roll. It's like a it's a process of training for the cooks here as well. You know, I'm trying to get them into the mindset that this is kind of an everyday thing, creativity, working on stuff. It's not like a whimsical. Oh, how did you come up with that? <laughs> I mean, you, you came up with it because you worked on it every day, and it, and it got and you and you, know, you refined and you yeah, refined you polished and you the refined stone. It. You yeah, polished yeah. the stone. That's yeah, that's an analogy. So rather than I was just blowing on a dandelion, and this idea came to me. Yeah, that's right. I mean, very rare does that happen. Occasionally, that will happen, but not yeah. not often. Um, yeah. Most of the time, it's just hard work, and I've I've said that the, the whole time when people have asked, you know, why is, why are the ideas like you know more distinctive or why are they so you know why why are we seeing something here that you know we haven't seen before perhaps um and uh, i'll always say just because we work really hard like it's mm. just really hard work you know and we're really earnest you know and yeah. so just go deep you know and the deeper the better and it it's not easy to be a part of that because you know we're asking a lot and you have to be able to commit really i mean i don't mean an hour's worked but i mean like commit to deeper thought and you've you got to come along with us man i, I don't you know like i'm expecting you know a lot like i want a lot from you i want everything you know mm. when you're here and you've got to bring something like you can't just sit there and be a bystander you know like you've got to contribute you know so if you're going to bring an ingredient to the to the to the group you know you've got to know something about it like uh You've got to know about the people, the culture, how is it used, what does it mean, what does it all mean? You know, that's what we're asking always, you know. Can you give some examples of the sort of things you've, you've been looking at at the moment? Well, um, I mean, we get these witchetty grubs from the Yorta Yorta people in New South Wales, and I think those are pretty interesting. Those are harvested in the wild, very difficult to harvest. Whoa. Uh, that dug, and so I think those are interesting. I think you know presenting those in a context which is you know. Can, can um, you describe it for someone who hasn't seen or or tasted a, a witchetty grub? Well, it's like a well, it's a moth larvae. Firstly, yes. that's what it technically is. And what do it, they turn into? Which moths they turn? I don't even know. Not what the bogong. No, it must be a different one. Anyway, um, so big, and they're white. They're um, white. They're like a big white. Uh, yeah. cylinder. Yeah, they are like a worm, but rib, yeah. a ribbed worm. Sometimes they have sort of yellow mottling on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they vary in size from sort of the smallest would be a little finger to the biggest, maybe be like, you know, the biggest finger that you have. Um, they are they are quite lively. Yeah. Um, we always present them live to the people that we serve them to first. We have a joke with them about, you know, how this is, you've got to eat it, be careful that it doesn't bite you, this sort of thing. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, and then we take them back to the kitchen and cook them. Um, We don't, we can't serve them to everybody. Mm -hmm. They cost a lot of money and and, uh, and we can't, you know, we can't get that many. So, um, but they're really interesting. I mean, that's something that's quite close to me. There's a, you know, in New Zealand we have a a relative of the witchy grub, we have the hoo-hoo grub. Uh, more the hoo-hoo. Yeah, the hoo-hoo, yeah. Great, so yeah. Maori uh, ingredient, quite delicious as well, but much smaller. Uh, yes. So a little bit more manageable for people probably. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they taste like, so, I don't know, they taste like witchy grubs. People always say, oh, what do they taste like? And they always want to say, people say they taste like almond puree or they taste like chicken, which is the, you know people's they answer for everything. everything yeah. Yeah. Do, do they have a protein in it that sort of denatures and goes hard or is it sort of a... No, it's it's interesting. It's kind it's of like a little a skin, leathery sort of skin. And then, yeah, like softer inside. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I think they're delicious. You know, I think they're really unique. I think they're really important. And here you are doing these to challenge the perceptions of the people who are downstairs and obviously to challenge the people that you say that you demand that they come along and they bring something to this endeavour that you're all doing. Yeah, and, I mean, it's just um, something that you won't ever see in a restaurant, really. Yeah, it's for me, it's just so nice to have them around. And, I mean, we can keep them. They can live here quite comfortably for a while. And mm. I, Yeah, I find them interesting. I find all ingredients interesting. And I don't think there's really any such thing as, like, a, a bad ingredient or a good ingredient. As long as something is ethically and sustainably harvested or grown, then it's a good ingredient. You know, it's whether or not you like it or not, it's beside the point, you know. Um, a lot of people don't, you know, love the flavour of bunion nuts, but I mm. think bunion nuts are one of the most delicious Australian greens of all time, you know. Yeah. And the story behind them and, and the meaning behind them is the other sort of... It's the cultural overlay of them that makes them 
so interesting to you? Well, yeah. So you have yeah. to, you know, as as my friend um, and uh, mentor, if you like, um, Bruce Pascoe has said, you know, if you're going to take, uh, you know, Aboriginal people's culture, then uh, if you're going to eat Aboriginal people's food, then you need to also swallow their culture. Yes. Um, and I think everything is tied up with that sentence, you know, um, you know, what right do you to have to take an ingredient that has cultural aspect to a group of people, uh, a misrepresented, um, um, mistreated group of people here in Australia for sure, and then to just fob it off as if uh, there was no um, human aspect to that ingredient. I don't think anybody has the right to do that. I think that's wrong. It just becomes a fad with no depth or anything behind it. No, it's just tokenism. tokenism. Um, you know, it's another... Um, it's another completely missed opportunity to acknowledge Aboriginal Australia, to pay tribute, to celebrate the culture that is so great. And to so, interface with the culture or enmesh with the culture or to understand the culture? Yeah, to understand the culture. I mean, you just can't take the ingredients. It's just so shallow to just take the ingredients and not to take, you know, some knowledge of the people and how they were used and where they came from. Or Already, you know, so obvious um, to so many of us that, you know, Indigenous Australians' culture has been decimated and and neglected, and um, so just to go back to that point is, if you're going to eat Indigenous ingredients, then you need to understand, you know, what the cultural consequence of them is. You know, how, where did they come from? Who, you know, who used them, and how were they used? And you know, just reach when out to the community. Yeah, what did they mean to the people yeah. who were using them? Because they damn well meant something to the people who oh, used them, and they continue to mean something. But let, so. Let's talk about bunion nuts. So when are, when are they ripe? Well, they, in Victoria in uh, late March, yeah, kind of around Melbourne Food and Wine Festival time. Right. Yeah, a little plug for <laughs> Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. <laughs> the time of abundance. And, yeah. and people would come from miles around to celebrate this great feast of bunyanuts. Yeah, in the north, in yeah. north Queensland, where the tree, bunya bunya tree is indigenous to. Mm. Um, I mean, it was planted here in the 19th century as a popular Victorian plant, mm. but this is not its home. Its home is Queensland, and indigenous people would have these kind of, you know, gatherings or parties, for want of a better word, um, around the nut in the season. They're a great source of protein. They were delicious and they were cooked in a myriad of ways, you know, in the fire, raw, they were fermented, they were ground to flour for damper or bush bread or whatever you want to call it. And that happened, that, you know, that, that was a cool thing because different clans would come together and, and feast on these nuts. And that had, that happened up until the point of, of settlement when these trees were started to be cut down by the early settlers here and that you know that part of our culture was severely diminished um, then because it just they just weren't available as prolifically they have a very straight trunk and that was a very attractive tree to furniture makers and that's what happened to the bunya tree and we still have some bunya trees in australia but nowhere near as many as we had once it's it's interesting that you said uh, damper because there's a lot of people that probably would be kind of surprised by that the fact that uh, that indigenous people bake things and and made things um, like that. I was hearing just the other day saltbush, saltbush seeds um, uh, makes a, a pretty good damper. Yeah, You've salt- been looking into saltbush. Yeah, I mean you, you know we've been looking uh, at saltbush. Yeah, yeah. Let's just put it this way: I've never seen saltbush on a restaurant menu before we did it here and it was something that was um not appreciated i should say like mm. probably 11 12 years ago when we first you started to use gray salt bush and and now you see it kind of everywhere you know um which is great but again you know um what's the kind of what's the meaning behind that you know um how many people know that you know the atriplex cinerea which is the you know the correct name for salt bush well that's also the name of same name of that the Bruni Island Aboriginal people use um, for grey salt bush there, and that's Truganini, and that's the famous uh, Aboriginal woman from Tasmania. And so there's, there's all these kind of little bits of information that are around if you're prepared to look for it. But I never called, I never heard salt bush called um, by its r- real name, Truganini, before. You know, like, uh, and it sh- and it probably should be called that. You know, um, I mean, obviously it depends on which language you're talking about, but. That's the that's the word for the Bruni Island Aboriginal people. So, you know, you see it everywhere. It's just called saltbush or it's called native sage, which is a terrible name for it. It's an early settler's name. Mm-hmm. Or it's called 
old man salt bush or grey salt bush. Yeah. yeah, but you know how much you know if you're eating it, how much do you know about it? You know, for some people, it's a plant that allows sheep to <laughs> survive in really arid conditions and salty and conditions. It, it it stops at at that. Yeah, it does. Um, and it's kind of all around us, you know. It's all around the bay. It's down, you know, the uh, the Westgate Freeway. It's like uh, it's kind of all around us. We don't really observe it. It's a great plant. It's very hardy. It'll be, you know, still here um, if it all ends and there's nothing left but cockroaches. Uh, it'll also be salt salt bush. You mean when the earth shrugs off this <laughs> carbuncle that it's well, got on it at the moment? That's right, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's another line of well, talk we could go another conversation. It is, but um, back to the damper. So, have, have, um, the, yeah, the seeds you can make a, a damper out of the seeds of salt bush, sure. which is yeah. supposed to be. Yeah. It's a big job harvesting those seeds. I might add. I got to imagine because they're yeah. pretty small. Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. Okay, just a, a obvious little little question. Other ingredients that you have been looking at. Like, oh my God, are we? I walked through the kitchen, guys, uh, or this labyrinth that is Attica in, in the back. It's like going through, I don't know, oh, I don't know, like a submarine or an aircraft carrier or something. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. But there was this tank, and you've got all these abalone just hanging in there and mm. staying alive, to use the BG's analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of believe that. Um you know, the best, Green lip. best shellfish is, is live. live. Yeah, yeah. yeah, whether it be a crab or whether it be, a, you know, mm-hmm. any kind of crustacean. Um, and certainly if it's an abalone, so, yeah, we keep we keep the week's abalone in that tank, about 380 um, abalone, mm-hmm. and they come from indented head. Yes. Um, so pretty close, yeah. 40, 50 kilometres away, I'm guessing, in yeah. a direct line. Yeah, and we just take them each day from the tank, and away you go. Yep, you're still using Lance Whiffen's mussels from the. Not from at the, the moment. No, no, not at the moment. They're delicious. I ate them last week. I made a very. Uh, I made a, a recipe for Food Bank. Um, do you yes. know that organisation? Yeah, of course I do. Yes, Good. yes, Food Bank. Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know that organisation or don't but know the, the level bank. of work they do. Tell yeah. me, tell me your Food Bank are for the for the listeners. For so they're they're if you want a very simple um, description of what Food Bank is, it's kind of like the supermarket for charities. So. People who um, run charities that feed lots of other people, homeless shelters or any form of feeding people who are um, uh, food insecure, who don't have enough to eat, who don't have access to some sort of real food every day. Food Bank um, work with uh, corporate Australia and bring in a lot of waste farmers as well, bring in a lot of ingredients that would be discarded perfectly good ingredients and then they distribute them out to the charities as well as providing uh, hundreds and hundreds of children every day with um, breakfast if you've ever if you've ever been down there to food bank down in uh, I haven't, food I've, bank um, Victoria? I've helped load up the trucks though and uh, oh, I've seen the deliveries um, can I, uh, here's an analogy they're like the lungs of food they oh, they draw in the food from from other places and then exhale. Yep. And give them out to other people who need that food, and yeah, they're they're very very worthwhile. So that's they, food bank guys. So they look, feed one hundred and seventeen thousand Victorians every month. There you go. They're by far the largest, you know, charity feeding people. Yep. It's humbling when you go down there. It's mm. humbling. Like the things that I've seen and the stories that I've heard down there make you cry. Like you've just got no idea of the poverty in your own backyard eh? until you go down there, and um, you hear the stories. Just uh, I just couldn't believe it you know no idea um, about how bad things are for victorians so i mean we you know we really think we really live in a bit of a bubble and affluent neighborhoods and if we if you have a little bit but man i tell you what it's a different story out there for a lot of people eh? and so yeah we we see it more and more on the streets of our city but we see it on bloody instagram you Mm. know what i mean like uh like it's just you know there's just you just, I think, you know, like, I'm an, I'm not an ambassador for them or anything. I've visited them. I've provided a recipe for them. But I tell you what, you should go on their website and check it out, foodbank.org. And if you can even give them five bucks, I think it'll make a huge difference. Um, they're just an unbelievable organisation. And, and, yeah, if you're up for volunteering or going down there and having a look, it'll blow your mind. There's few things in recent years that have moved me as much as visiting that place. There you go. Let's take you back to your home. You, I don't know how much time you're able to just be at home 
and just be Ben with the kids and the wife and just the family unit. And I'm just wondering for for us, you, you blew me away one time when we spoke, God, some million years ago, and you told me, what do you love at Christmas time? Lasagna. I went, wow, really? What do you cook at home? Well, When I, can you I cook at home and what do you cook? I have my children for two and a half days a week. Yes. Um, my ex-wife has them for, oh, for other times, so I went through mm-hmm. a separation oh, in the last, the about a year ago. It's okay. Yes, okay. No, it's life. Yeah. Um, it's not an easy part of life, but mm-hmm. it is life, and uh, we're both doing the best by our children. And anyway, to cut a long story short, Sunday's you know a big day for my children and I, and that's the day we cook together. Yeah, and we cook talking? together every week, pretty much. Um, I mean, this week it was... Um, it was grilled meatballs, yes, which is a delicious thing. So, some some good quality pork mince, some good quality beef mince, yes. um, and I'm sure that the listeners understand what I mean when I say that. I'm not sure if I need to spell that out, but pork for softness, beef for flavour. No, I mean the, mix. the integrity of the ingredient. I don't oh, mean about okay. you know, like I'm talking about the animal welfare side of it. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah, yes. so I'm talking about um, you know, pork that's free range, that's yes. that's good quality that the animals haven't been harmed. And I mean, um, you know, grass-fed beef, um, as simple as that. And then take those two, some good quality eggs, some breadcrumbs, some leftover bread. Um, I added um, some Frank's hot sauce. Uh, I added quite a lot of finely grated Parmesan cheese. I added some oyster sauce. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I added some some tomato sauce. This is sounding funky ass. Yeah. I added some garlic. Yes. I added some black pepper, some salt. Mm. Um, I think that was about what I added, and I kneaded it, and then grill them on, like knead them, and then roll them into balls, and then grill them on the barbecue over a very high heat, yeah, okay. like really high. Yes, so they get kind of crusty. On yeah, them, so. crusty and yeah. caramelized, and mm. not blackened, but until they're just cooked. Like, don't cook them too much. Um, and then we ate them with um, a few different salads that we made. Um, you know, I think we had a a salad of asparagus um, with some uh, with some ricotta salada and some herbs from the garden. And we had a green salad with... I think it was just green salad, just plain, because that's how the kids like it. Um, and we grilled potatoes on the uh, on the barbecue as well. And that was a nice meal. That was the most recent one. Um, but, yeah, grilled, grilled meatballs is a good thing. You don't even really need sauce with them, to be honest. Even though you've pumped them full of sauce, it's all exactly. in there anyway. Well, not too much of that stuff. It's not yeah. sloppy or anything. No, no, like no. it's just a yeah, and heaps of flavour. Yeah, yeah, and really good. In the uh, hands are coming you know, out, folks. Or something for the kids' school lunch the next day. Leftover. Oh, really? They were right. very popular the next day. Oh, yeah, bad. and the day after. Yeah, so, yeah. They get better and better. Congratulations on all you've been doing, and where you are. It's been an absolute honour to be in this uh, little fortress of uh, of solitude that you have here this is a this is a great room to clear the head i can see that it is yeah it's uh it's a nice place to be for sure mm. all right matt well look I, I should probably let you go because i know you've got to uh get back there what so um what stuff are you working on at the moment uh well today um two desserts are changing um so we're doing a new a completely new dish one of them's a completely new dish and one of them's an amendment of a current dish so the brand new dishes are is an Australian finger lime that's been um, steamed for four and a half hours in a, in a sugar syrup. I think I saw the picture of it the other day. It looked absolutely ravishing. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. it's very simple. Oh, it's, it's quite super a, simple. It's very bold. Yeah. Um, so it's basically taking the finger lime, which is one of the most incredible Australian ingredients. And this is mm. a world-famous ingredient now, too, because they grow them in California prolifically. So all around America, people are eating finger limes. Yeah. So you steam the finger lime until it's tender, and then you just slit open the bottom, and we scoop out... The um, there's a sort the of flesh. Well, uh, yeah, the pearls are triplets. kind of disintegrated now. So oh, yeah, okay. you've just got this hollow skin, and you keep the pearls for marmalade, and um, and the syrup is also delicious. So. Yeah. And um, and then you refill the finger lime skin with fresh pearls, and they're very um, bright and citrusy, as you know. Mm. And then you just put that on the plate, and then you cover it with um, sugar bag honey, which is the bee of the Australian stingless. Um, sorry, the honey of the Australian stingless bee. You were saying very, very hard to find and yeah, very, very expensive. Yeah. And a low water content was... Uh, no, high water content and yeah. it ferments quite easily, you were saying. It does, yeah. It ferments in the hive and that gives it its complexity. It's just 
like if you've had it, it you would never want to eat normal honey again um, mm. it's just transfixing and the thing about it is it's so beautiful is the point of the dish is really kind of to display it we're lucky that you know we have a lot of contacts in the, in all across Australia and fruit and food and so we've secured an amount of it um, very difficult thing to do mm. and we're going to be able to you know we think we're going to be able to give about a tablespoon of this honey to each of our guests for about three months, um, which is, you know, a very, very luxury. Yeah. yeah, this is like, like uh, you know, to put this into context, I'm not, I'm not a big, I don't, I'm not a big advocate advocate for caviar. We never serve it here. Mm. But it's like having a tablespoon of caviar. That's yes. the equivalent value in yes. cost and in um, and deliciousness. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and the importance of that ingredient. Um, so... And also the endeavour to get that ingredient oh too, God. isn't it? That's sort yeah. of the, the real thing behind it. Yeah, well, you're talking about, you know, like on a good year, you know, and and uh, an Indigenous Australian beehive um, having about one kilo of excess honey in a good year, um, a European beehive, which is the honey that we all eat every day, uh, having 35, 50 mm. kilos excess honey. So... You, you can kind of imagine what a commitment it is to have those hives and to only get a kilo of honey. And it's the most amazing kilo of honey you'll ever try. So I want to display that honey in a really, like, kind of um, natural and almost innocent way. And then we're going to serve some organic cream with it as well because it's a lot of citrus and a lot of richness. So very simple. You just, you know, knife and fork and you cut the, the finger lime and you have this blast of lime and... The sweetness, very complex honey that's just really unique. Um, yeah, so that's that's addition. And the other one is um, we we're doing this um, this lamington, which we've been doing probably for about nine months. Um, it's called the black ant lamington, and that's being changed to, um, to black ants and chocolate and pepperberry. So those are the things that are kind of going on in there. That's changed. They changed into night, so we're sort of we're hustling to get that done. Um, wow. Yeah. Last question, and I've just been asking, uh, well, it's just a standard sort of thing. The death row meal, or the last meal, what would you like to have as your very last thing you ever eat? Very last thing. Well, it, it, you know, it would be a... It could like, be a few courses if you want. Really, really... No, it wouldn't. I don't think it would be a complex meal. Um, yep. I'm sure it would be like a, you know, just like a, a piece of great cheese and a piece uh, a piece of bread. And mm. something really nice to drink, um, like a Gioconda Chardonnay. Mm. Um, what sort of cheese is it? Well, it's it's it it's hard? yeah, it's, it's a hard, always it's a hard, hard cheese. cheese. Yeah. yeah, it's a hard cheese for sure, with some age on it. Yeah, um, so like a nice cloth bound cheddar or something like that. Something like that, or a Gruyere, or, or um, yeah, Comte or something like that. That's right, something like that. Um, just something you know, amazing. Um, or in the right, uh, in, with the right weather. Um, you can't go past lasagna, as we talked about before. <laughs> yes. I haven't had much lasagna lately either, so... Well, maybe it's time to do a lasagna. Yeah, it is. Maybe the kids are involved in that. No, well, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I love lasagna. Yeah, it's the way to my heart. Now you know it, folks. Ben, Sherry, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've been very generous, and uh, we'll let you get back to uh, developing that finger lime and the black ant lamington. Thanks, Cam. Amongst a million other things in the air, huh? Yeah, that's it. Always. Cheers, mate. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.